2011 was the worst year of my life. I just finished school, having graduated with degrees in music, but I couldn't find a teaching job right away, so I was getting by on a handful of writing gigs and by playing sit and goes online, which by then was a dying form of poker that I wasn't very good at anyway. In January 2011, I broke up with my girlfriend at the time and moved into a basement in Morgantown, West Virginia. West Virginia is my home state. My brothers both lived in Morgantown, and I was already traveling to work on a rock album with an engineer who lived there. The landlord let me sign a lease that expired in August when the next cycle of teaching positions would begin. My main writing gig paid $3,600 per quarter, and my bank account dipped into the low three digits every few months before the quarterly check arrived. I probably had the skill set to succeed as a cash game pro at that point, but it never took. I'd had some success in online tournament poker, but I'd always used most of my winnings to pay bills and I didn't have a significant bankroll. I didn't grind cash games online because I wasn't naturally attracted to the format and didn't know cash games were a more reliable way to make money than tournaments. I might have figured that out on my own, but my handful of attempts to do so didn't stick. I'd sometimes drive to the nearest casino, the Meadows in Washington, Pennsylvania, about 45 minutes away, to play 2-3. But because I didn't run well and I didn't have the bankroll to play the game, I could never play for long. There's one pot from that year that still seems important. There were maybe five limps, the small blind completed, and I checked the big blind with jack four of hearts. The flop came jack, jack, deuce. I think I bet and one of the limpers called. He and I were both very deep. The turn was a four, giving me top boat. I bet. He min-raised. I think I three-bet and he called. The river was an eight. I moved all in and he called and slow-rolled me for some reason with jack eight. The pot was probably close to $1,000, a ton of money for me at the time. Fast forward to 2015 and my life had improved somewhat. I was living in Columbus. I was still working as a writer and I also had a regular gig as an adjunct professor at a small college. I wasn't saving much money, but my bank account didn't slip into the hundreds anymore. I still played tournaments. At the beginning of fall break that year, I withdrew $800 from my bank and drove to Southern Indiana near Louisville to play some World Series of Poker circuit events. I didn't cash the circuit events, but I chopped a nightly tournament and came out ahead maybe $1,000 for the trip. A couple weeks after that, I sat in a cash game in Columbus, and this time I ran hot. Within a month, I had a bankroll adequate to play live cash. I've played about 90% cash since then, and I haven't taken money from my bank to play poker since that $800 withdrawal. Sometimes I think about that jack forehand and how, if that pot and maybe one other had gone my way, I might have become a cash game pro years earlier. I've always loved playing poker, but more than anything else, Poker, to me, is about freedom. Before I really got started in live cash game poker in 2015, I was just getting by. I rarely thought more than a couple years ahead, because there was no reason to worry about something I had no plan to control. It's only been since then that I've been able to see a clear future for myself, one that involves one day not having to work anymore without having to rely on anyone else. Poker gave me that. Poker also helped me quit my low-paying writing and teaching gigs and move to Los Angeles, which is my favorite city in the U.S. I don't have a boss. I'm closer to who I want to be because of poker. 
And I've pursued it so vigorously in the past few years because I've seen so clearly what my immediate options are without it. I'm in a race now to win as much freedom as I can while I can. So I play live poker. Online poker, unfortunately, doesn't compare. Recreational players like live poker better and it obscures their deficiencies longer. This spring when I couldn't play live poker and no longer had access to a good online private game, I made a little money playing online, but not nearly enough to pay the rent on my apartment in Los Angeles or to save for retirement. This past Sunday, the casinos in Los Angeles shut down for a third time. It was COVID. It's COVID, 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 COVID. And it pains me as someone who would like this podcast to be good to continue to talk about COVID on like four different episodes spaced over eight months. But here we are. The situation is frustrating to me for all the reasons it's frustrating to everyone. During this pandemic, we fundamentally aren't free to enjoy many basic things. Going to a bar, coffee shop, seeing a concert, having friends over. Even if we live in places where we can technically do these things, we have to weigh our desire to do them against the possibility of infecting and perhaps killing ourselves and others. I can live without going to concerts, at least for now. But what's harder to me is not being able to work. Not working doesn't pose any short-term threat to me, but it makes me feel like I'm back in the pre-2015 time, when I didn't feel I had control over my future. But I'm alive, right? Hundreds of thousands of Americans are not. I haven't gotten sick either, knock on wood, and I haven't even really lost a job the way millions of people did earlier this year. I'm grateful for what I have, and I don't mean to complain. I just want to give a sense of what poker looks like for me at the moment. I'm probably going back to San Diego again in the next few days, at least hopefully. I'm not sure how to interpret the data that will influence California's decisions about whether the county can keep its card rooms open. And even if I could, I wouldn't have much confidence in the state making decisions that are logical. But hopefully I'll be able to play live poker down there. I still haven't played any live poker indoors since this crisis began. The coronavirus forces us all to draw somewhat arbitrary lines in the sand, and that's where I've drawn mine. I know a ton of poker players who've gotten COVID, but none who've gotten it from playing poker outdoors with masks and plexiglass. That's not to say it's safe, only that anecdotal evidence confirms my common sense hypothesis that it's much safer than playing, say, an indoor home game with no masks. So while Los Angeles has the stricter shutdown in place, I'll hopefully book an Airbnb in the San Diego area and play live poker outside for a week or two. I'd rather do that in LA, where I can live in my apartment and see my girlfriend and my cat, but in the meantime, traveling is what's going to keep me feeling like I'm moving forward as a poker player and as an adult. In the meantime, this week I have reports from a couple big games I played in LA in October. They include several hands I played pretty questionably, along with a couple I played well. It is October 6th, and today I played a really big game. I went to the casino with the idea that I was going to play 510, but when I got there, there was no 510 running. But there was a 1020, and I took a look at the table, and I could tell it was a really good spot. I only knew one of the three players at the table. He's a pro, I think, who mostly plays overnight, and when the game gets bad, he leaves. So my guess is what happened is that uh, this is a good game that went through the night and is continuing into the morning. So I'm thinking this is going to be a good game. 
I sit down and within the first orbit or two, someone asks if we can make it 10, 20, 40. And my usual rule with that is if somebody wants to straddle and it looks like everyone's going to agree, I of course also agree. So we're playing some 10, 20, 40, big game. And it does turn out to be a really good spot because there's a player in the game who is playing about 90% of hands, raising about 60% of hands, and betting every flop and every turn, whether he has the initiative preflop or not. So just donk betting every flop, every turn, and yeah, just putting tons of money in pots. As an example of what we're talking about, this is a hand I played against this guy. I had black kings on the button and raised to $110. He was in the small blind and called. So there was 270 in the pot. The flop came 943 with two hearts. He led 200 and I called. There was 670 then in the pot heading to the turn, which is an offsuit five. So now 9435 with two hearts. And again, I have black kings. He bet 400 and I called. So there was 1470 heading to the river, which was an offsuit ace, not my favorite card, but he bet 500 and I called and beat 10-4 of clubs. So he flopped middle pair and just bet it the whole way, even as the board got worse and worse for him. So a really good spot here. Fairly early on in the session, I get into somewhat of a tough situation with pocket queens. So I raised to $110 from hijack the cutoff button and small blind all call, which kind of tells you what sort of game we're playing here. And the straddle, who is a recreational player who I know from 510, raises to 440 out of a stack of about 2,500. And this player is fairly tight. In particular, he three bets quite tight. So I'm thinking when he does this, he's not like seeing it as a squeeze spot and three betting light. Like he just has something good. Um, and when I say something good, I mean a lot of big pairs, like aces through maybe tens and then ace king, ace queen. Very good hands. So I think against a lot of players who would be in his situation and see this as a, as a squeeze spot, I would raise and get it all in for 2500 But I don't think that's great against this particular guy. I don't love calling either because there's all these players behind, but I do think it's better than folding when I have a hand as strong as pocket queens. So I do go ahead and call, and the cutoff also calls. So now there's about 1600 in the pot, and the flop comes 6-4-3 with two diamonds. And now the straddle bets 1,200, so three quarters of the pot into what is already a very big pot. And this is tough. I don't want to fold here and be shown pocket jacks, which I do think this guy could maybe be overplaying. But I also think when he uses this exact sizing, he's pretty heavily weighted to aces and kings and maybe ace-king of diamonds. Also... I do have the cutoff behind, and while I do think I'm very likely to be ahead of the cutoff, there is some chance he could have flopped a set or something like that on a low board like this. So after thinking about this for a while, I just decided to let this go. I fold the queens, and the straddle does end up getting it in against the cutoff. The straddle does turn up with pocket aces, and the cutoff has pocket tens and hits a ten on the river. So managed to dodge a bullet there, but frustrating to have to give up with pocket queens. 
In this next hand, I'm about 5,000 effective with the main villain in the hand who is Mr. 90%, the guy who is playing 90% of hands and betting every flop and turn. I'm on the button with Queen Jack with the Queen of Diamonds and raised to 110. Uh, this player is in the second blind and calls, and the straddle also calls. So there's 340 in the pot. The flop comes 10, 8, 7 with two diamonds, the eight and seven of diamonds. And now Mr. 90% who's betting every flop and turn bets 200, which of course is not unexpected. The straddle calls. And so now the action is to me. Um, I don't love this spot at all, but I think folding when I do have somewhat of a draw to the nuts with, with queen jack with overs and a gut shot would be pretty bad. Uh, I also think raising is not super great because either of these players could find reasons to uh, come along on a board this wet with, you know, a pair plus a straight draw, for example. So just by process of elimination, that leaves calling. So I go ahead and call. There's 940 in the pot and the turn is the four of diamonds. So now it's 10, 8, 7, 4 with now three diamonds bringing in the flush. And again, I have queen jack with the queen of diamonds. Mr. 90% bets $300. The straddle fortunately folds. And now it's to me. I don't think when he bets a third of the pot here and he's always betting the turn, this sizing is indicative of strength at all. And I think I would have a ton of flushes here. So I raise to 1100 and uh, unfortunately, he calls. So now there's 3140 in the pot, and the river is a 10. So now the board is 10, 8, 7, 4, 10 with three diamonds, and he checks. So, a couple ways of thinking about this. I have a little bit more than pot behind. Against some types of players, I think going all in or using some other fairly big sizing to get a 10 to fold would be a good play but I'm not sure this is the type of player to fold a 10. In fact, he's not the type of player to fold a 10. Still though, I just have queen high and there might be other hands that currently beat me that he might fold to a bet. And I'm going through these in my head. I'm thinking hands like nine, eight, nine, seven, seven, six, all of which have pairs to go with straight draws that have now busted. And then also hands like ace nine and king nine. A lot of players would fold those hands on the turn, but I'm not sure this guy would. So I bet 1300 into 3140, uh, expecting to get looked up and have to sheepishly show this one down a decent percentage of the time. But fortunately he folds, I get the, the smaller bluff through. In this next hand, the cutoff, who is the tighter player I mentioned earlier, raises to 110. I have pocket sixes in the second blind, and I think against the pool, all options would be on the table. I think three betting is a fine play against some opponents in some situations. I think folding might be okay uh, against some opponents in some situations, but here I really like calling. We're pretty deep. This player, as I mentioned, will sometimes overplay hands when he has an overpair. So there's a lot of value here in flopping a set. And Mr. 90% is in the straddle and I want him in the pot if possible. So I call, he calls, which is good. 
And so there's 340 in the pot headed to the flop, which is king, queen, six with the queen and six of diamonds. So I do flop a set, which is amazing. So I check Mr. 90% bets 200 as anticipated. The razor unfortunately folds. And so now the auction is on me. I make it 700 and Mr. 90% calls. So now there's 1740 in the pot. The turn is in offsuit five, complete blank. I bet 1200 now and he calls, which is great. So I think he can have a wide variety of made hands, such as a king, and also a variety of draws, uh, diamonds, a bunch of straight draws, and so on. So there's 4140 in the pot heading to the river. I have a little bit more than pot behind, and it's an offsuit 10. So I have to decide what sizing to use here. There is a chance that he could have ace-jack or jack-9, and if he does, then he just gets the money. You know, good for him. What I'm hoping here is that he's somehow backed into two pair. And I mostly want to target a king. I want to bet a size that a king can call. I have about 4,600. I've seen this guy get really crazy in all kinds of hands, but not for 4,600. So I think going all in here is not the best play. I want to bet a size that a king feels compelled to call with or some kind of weird two pair like queen 10 feels compelled to call with. So I bet 2,600 and he shows queen nine offsuit and mucks. Getting a call here from second pair is going to be a really tall order against anybody, including this guy. So I'm up pretty significantly at this point. And in the last big hand of the day, I have pocket sevens in the hijack and raise to $110. The natural small blind makes it 365 and I call. We're about 4,500 effective. This is another type player who I don't know and haven't mentioned yet. I haven't seen a lot of three bets from him, so I'm anticipating that his three bet range should be quite strong. He was actually in this exact spot earlier uh, in the first blind with ace queen when the hijack raised and he called. So I think he's mostly just going to have big pairs here and ace king. So I'm mostly calling here to set mine. So there's 790 in the pot heading to the flop, which comes ace, ace, three, and he checks. So I think having seen this guy play ace-queen passively earlier in the session, he actually doesn't have tons and tons of trips here, especially when he checks. I think when he does have ace-king, he will bet a decent amount. Maybe he has some slow plays, but I think he's going to be betting a lot. And I think when he checks, he's going to have a lot of kings through jacks. So normally in this situation, there might be value in betting pocket sevens in order to uh, deny equity to suited Broadway type hands, king queen suited, queen jack suited, and so on. But I don't think there's a lot of value in doing that against this specific guy. I don't know. Actually, I would be pretty surprised if I was ever ahead here. But if he does have some suited Broadways, betting small here does fold those and gives me the option to continue betting and putting pressure on kings through jacks on later streets. So I bet 275, about a third of the pot and he calls. So now there's 1340 in the pot. It's an offsuit three, so a very clean turn. Now the board is ace, ace, three, three. He checks again, and I'm going to continue to put pressure on kings through jacks here. I think that um, if I put in a pretty big bet here, he's going to be forced to fold those, or at least think hard about it. So I bet $950, and he calls again. 
At this point, I'm pretty sure I'm done with the hand. He has a little bit more than pot behind, and I don't think I'm going to be firing the river. I'm not positive about that, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to be betting unless the river is a seven. The river is actually an eight, so now the board is ace, ace, three, three, eight, and now he leads all in. <laughs> so he takes the decision away from me, perhaps fortunately, almost certainly just has something really good here, probably ace, king, I'm thinking, and so of course I chuckle and fold. I don't think I'm ever ahead and he shows pocket aces for a flop quads. So pretty well played by him on the flop in the turn. Uh, he got me to put in a bunch of money there with a pretty weak hand. And I was, from a theoretical standpoint, pretty out of line. On the other hand, I think he does have kings through jacks that he's going to fold here a ton. And unfortunately, he had what might have been his only slow play in this spot. I'm not positive that's true, but I think it might have been. So anyway, uh, finished the session with uh, a little bit less of a profit than I had at one point. I don't have the precise number in front of me, but it was around $2,800 or something like that. And pretty happy with that. Good day in a pretty big game. <laughs> It's October the 9th, and I have a funny story. Today, I was playing 5-10-20, and it wasn't as good a game as the 10-20-40 game I was playing earlier this week. There wasn't anybody at the table playing 90% of hands, or even 70, or probably even 50. But there were a bunch of recreational players, and there was money moving around. I unfortunately was very card dead in the first hour and a half or so, and had hardly played a hand. But I soon found myself in a spot in which early position limped, the cutoff limped, I was in the natural big blind, so the 10 in 5, 10, 20, and completed with queen 7 of spades, and the straddle checked. So there was about $80 in the pot, and the flop came 10, 5, 4 with the 10 and 4 of spades, giving me a flush draw and an overcard. I checked, the straddle checked, early position bet 80, so full pot. The cutoff called, I called, and the straddle folded. So now there was about $320 in the pot, and the turn was the ace of spades. So 10, 5, 4, ace with three spades. So now I had the second nuts beaten only by the king high flush. I decided to lead, which is a decision I like. It should be obvious to either player that anyone in the hand could have a flush. So if somebody has two pair or a set or something like that, they're probably going to check this card. I made a mistake though and bet too small. I bet $80 and my thinking at the time was that I looked so tight after playing, I think only maybe two hands in the first hour and a half and that it would be hard to get paid if I put in a significant bet. But I do like betting a little bit more here, maybe 125 or so. The bet of 80 did lead to an interesting result, though. Early position raised to 225, which I was pretty happy about. He started the hand with $2,500. He could have had the king high flush, but he could have had a lot of other flushes as well. So I was happy to put in a lot of money with him. Then, though, 
the cutoff, who started the hand with about $1,600, raised again to $500, and it came back to me. And I thought, is this ever not the nuts? I'm trying to put myself in the mind of a recreational player in this spot and think, what would they do with a jack high flush here? What would they do with a nine high flush? Are they really going to put in a third bet here on the turn when there are several other flushes out there that can beat them? Probably not. Also, even if somehow they don't have the king high flush, there's at least somewhat of a chance that the early position player has it. Also, after putting in this 500, the cutoff only has 900 or 1,000 back or so. And if I call the 500 here, they're pretty likely to put the rest of the money in on the river. And it seems pretty bad to call 500 on the turn and then fold the river, getting a pretty great price. So I folded. And as I was doing so, I picked my cards up off the table a little bit. So the pro next to me, who I'm friendly with, could see them. And he said, yeah, I would fold here too. So I'm thinking about this decision. I end up texting a couple of my friends and telling them what I know about the two players, which is not much. I did see the cutoff call off a decent chunk of money with ace-jack preflop, which he shouldn't have done, and then call off kind of correctly post-flop on an ace-high board. So he's certainly willing to gamble, but I didn't have much reason to think that he would be super crazy in this particular spot just because he hadn't played super crazy generally. He'd probably played about 45% or so of hands that I had seen and hadn't done a lot of crazy stuff after the flop. So I texted this information to a couple of my friends and they both said that based on what I had told them that they would fold. But let me tell you what happened in the rest of the hand. So the early position player called the 500. The river was an offsuit eight, so pretty much an irrelevant card. Early position checked. Cut off, bet 300 from his stack of 900 or 1,000, which I thought was really weird. And early position called. The cutoff showed 10-5 offsuit, which he had limped preflop. He flopped top two pair, slow played it on the flop, and then three bet the turn when the flush came in. And early position showed pocket fours for bottom set. So my hand was by far the best hand, and my read on this situation was completely wrong. So I texted my friends the results once they told me what they would do. And they were both as flabbergasted as I was. And my friend Tony said something interesting, which was, well, obviously the cutoff is a huge whale, and you just haven't picked up on it yet. And I thought, yeah, I mean, that must be right. And it must be that I'm on my phone too much and I maybe I'm missing things. So, all right, I'm putting down my phone and I'm specifically going to pay attention to this player to see what he does. So I'm watching this player for 20 minutes or so. And I don't notice anything about his play. But something begins to set in. Something I did miss which is that it's the same guy. It's the same guy from the 10, 20, 40 game who was playing 90% of hands and who was donk betting every flop and every turn. It's the same guy. 
and I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it after an hour and a half of playing with him. And I didn't even notice it for 20 minutes after specifically trying to pay attention to this guy. So how did I miss this? Well, one, we're all wearing masks. I still don't know what the bottom half of this guy's face looks like. He's about 40, maybe Southern European or Middle Eastern, has a shaved head. It's a pretty common look in LA poker rooms. I had even taken a picture of this guy and I began to suspect that it was him. I took out the picture and and the notes I had taken on him and I'm looking at the picture and looking back at this guy and I'm not positive it's him, but then I notice he's wearing the same bracelet. So it's definitely him, but he's got a mask on. He also in the picture has a lot of tattoos on his arm, but today his tattoos are covered up by long sleeves. Also, he's sitting on the same side of the table as me, but three seats down. So I have to see him from between three plexiglass dividers. So it's very hard to see. And finally, and this is important, he's playing very differently. He's not playing 90% of hands. He's not even playing 50% of hands. And he's not donk betting every flop or every turn. So this is an interesting phenomenon that happens at all levels of live cash game poker, where someone will show up in a game, get completely blown up, as this guy did in the 10-20-40 game, where he seemingly lost at least $10,000. And then they'll come back to the poker room a couple days later and they'll think, okay, I can't lose that much money again. I don't want to lose that much money again. So they'll change the way they play. Play a little bit tighter, not play as many trashy hands pre-flop, and maybe not be quite as splashy post-flop but they don't fundamentally change the way they think about poker. And one thing I knew about this guy, if I had recognized it was him, is that he doesn't have much of a sense of whether a hand is strong on a particular board. He just thinks, I've got two pair, that's a good hand. And it doesn't matter to him that there's a flush possible out there, or that, for example, there's a four-liner to a straight. He doesn't care. And to him, two pair is two pair, and he's going to put the money in with it. And if I'd even just recognized it was him, I definitely would have gotten it in with him. And I'd be a couple thousand dollars richer than I am now. Thanks for listening to Third Man Walking. You can find me on Twitter at Third Walking or via email at thirdmanwalkingpodcast at gmail.com.